0: Audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10 30 a.m. You know, once upon a time, uh, when I first got here to Deering, um, I was I was I was twenty 25 years old. Just turned 20, 20 I, let me think about this just for a moment. 2002 years. I was 25. Yeah, 26. I was 26. I was 26. I was right. Okay. So so um, I had no life. Um, I really didn't, you know. Um, I, I, I I played a few sports here and there, went to the gym, you know. I didn't, I wasn't ever even home, you know, because I didn't really want to go home, so I went out to all you people's houses and poor people, so, um, uh, and, and that's what I did, and, and that was, I just, and the thing is about not having much of a life, it makes it kind of tough to use illustrations from your life when you have no life, um, so, You guys, some of you remember what I used to do. I told jokes. It's like, I mean, when you don't have any stories to tell, uh, you got to tell some jokes. Well, guess what, folks? I got a blast from the past right here. All right? It doesn't mean I have no life. All right? I I do have a life, you know? And if if you are 26 years old and single and all of that, I'm not saying you don't have a life. Do not misread me whatsoever, okay? It's just kind of tough to bring life experience out you know, in, in the midst of that when you when you don't have children and you haven't experienced so many things in life yet. You just haven't. Well, here we go. There was, a, there was a man, and he was an old man, and he was a stingy man. And he held on to his money really, really tightly, even so much so that his wife didn't get very much of it. He knew his time for the end was coming, and he told his wife, he said, you don't send me to a hospital, you don't send me anywhere. I want to die in this house. There's a reason why I want to die in this house. I want you to take all my money and put it in the attic. And when I'm leaving, I'm going to grab it and take it with me. That's what he said. So she followed through with his wishes, kept him in the home. He died in the home. She kind of forgot about his other wish to put and she did it. She put the she put a lot of money in that attic and she was up there a couple months later, forgotten all about it, and lo and behold, there was all this money up there. And she said to herself, I knew I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, blast from the past. Some of you might remember that from a number of years ago. Listen closely, because what I'm going to tell you next will probably catch some of you off guard, and it should. What if I were to tell you, after a lot of digging and philosophical and theological study, I found a way that wealthy people could buy their way into heaven? How would you react to that statement? How would you react? I got a passage of scripture I'd like to read for you. I'm going to cherry pick it just a little bit. It's a little dangerous. Be very careful about cherry picking scripture. All right. Um, so we're going to do it purposefully. And then we are going to stop cherry picking and putting it in context. But the passage of scripture comes from, chap- from chapter 16 of Luke. Verse 9. It says this. And I say to you. Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Is that an interesting looking verse? You know who said that? Jesus said that. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Because it looks a little like eternal dwellings use money to get there. We better dig into this a little bit. Let me tell you something of what's going on here. Jesus is speaking, but he's not speaking to himself. He's speaking to a large group around him. And Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 tells us that within this group, you have tax collectors and sinners... And Jesus is with them, spending time with them, sharing with them, teaching them. And on the kind of the outside, a little bit looking in, in verse 2 of chapter 15, you see that there are Pharisees on the sidelines, criticizing and grumbling. So Jesus goes on from that point, knowing who his audience is. In chapter 15, it is called the lost parable chapter of the Bible, because Jesus goes on to tell three parables about the lost, and how God's God's desire to seek the lost, and God initiates that seeking of the lost. That's the whole purpose and why Jesus was here to begin with. But then you jump into chapter 16. And it looks like this. Jesus begins talking about the other side of that equation. The initiative of man in seeking God. So what we see here in chapter 16 is two parables. And let me tell you something. The whole chapter is about money. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money. And he tells a story, and then he just says some things about money, and then he tells another story. And the Dr. Luke, that's how he put all of this together. The first of these parables is directed towards Jesus' followers, his disciples, and his potential followers. All right, And, And the point of the first one we're going to look at today is this, how to use money on your way to heaven. Now the second parable is directed toward the Pharisees who are also in his group who are lovers of money and held on to it pretty tightly. And the second parable is directed towards them and it's basically this, how to use money on the way to hell. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on the first of these parables. So if you don't have your Bibles open yet, hopefully you do, look to Luke chapter 16 beginning with verse 1. And this is Jesus speaking. It says this, Now he was also saying to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. The light bulb comes on. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said to him, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now catch what happens next. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness. So that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Now as we've already said, verse 9 is the hard saying of this story. So let's hold off on it. For just a little bit, okay? And let's jump into this for just a moment. I love it. I absolutely love it that Jesus was a storyteller. And the best one that ever lived. Let me tell you folks, there's some good storytellers out there. But Jesus was the most original. And I'll tell you, when he told these stories, you can see it in scripture if you're reading between the lines. He captured the attention of people. He captivated them. Story time. We have a manager. Now, understand something first of all. That was a position in that culture. Often, a manager sometimes would be a slave, sometimes would be a servant of the master. It was, it was a highly trusted position. It was, it was the position in which the master or the owner would place on someone because they're going to know everything. They're going to know the finances, they're going to know where the monies are at, they're going to know how much is there. And they're going to have the opportunity, if they so choose to take it, to be quite dishonest in their dealings extortion is not just a recent thing people <laughs> all right so we have this man in this highly trusted position he is been given the responsibility of taking care of the monetary side of business he's to distribute goods he's to collect monies he's probably also to distribute payroll to other workers or servants who weren't slaves i mean there's a lot to this position and guess what he abused it now we aren't told exactly how he abused this position but he did he was after all he's been entitled of the story the unrighteous manager well that's quite a title wouldn't you love to carry that one around that'd be real nice on the office door you know right above the nice little name plaque above the door unrighteous unrighteous steward Unrighteous manager, that'd be great. Uh, I'd love to have that one up there. Um, he abused the position, and guess what? If you abuse a position long enough, you're going to get ratted out eventually. It's going to happen. So the master hears that this is taking place. He calls this, this manager, this steward, this servant to him, and, and he, he gives him his walking papers. He says, you're done. I've heard about you, I've investigated myself, you are done. Here's the thing though, you cannot immediately have somebody who's in a position like that, you can't immediately have them walked out by security, the walk of shame. All right, You just, you just can't do that. It takes a little bit of time. Um, if you just kick them out right then and there, then there's a lot of bills out there, they're going to be left unpaid because you don't know anything about them and that manager's not going to help you too much because you just kicked them out the door. So this is—I don't know if it's like a two-week notice or something like that of being fired, but uh, but he knows. But he is not immediately served those walking papers, accounts to close, loans to be collected, and the manager begins thinking to himself, "What am I going to do a few days from now? What am I going to do here?" So the manager, pretty sharp, actually decides to take advantage of what little time he has left. He doesn't want to beg. He's too proud for that. He doesn't want to do it. And the guy is, he's at least, uh, he's at least aware enough of, of, his, um, of his physical stature and his determination that he can't go out there and dig. He just can't do the manual labor thing. Um, he just can't. He's a paper pusher. That's what he is. So what he decides is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to those people who owe my master, my master's clients, and I'm going to reduce their debt. And by doing so, I'm going to make some friends. Guys, you, you know this. I mean, there's many of us in this room who have a mortgage. What if a representative from the bank came to you and said, So you got you owe forty-eight thousand dollars left on your mortgage? Tell me how, tell you what, write it out for, for eighteen thousand, pay me right now, and I'll burn your mortgage myself. Hello, sign me up. You know, I'll do that one. I mean, I'll do that one. All right? And and see, in that day and in that time, when you have a manager in a position like this. They have the authority to sign that bill. And when the one who owes and the one who is owed, meaning in this case the manager, not the master, when they both sign the bill, guess what happens to that bill? It's marked paid in full. So the manager still has for a short period of time to do this. He has the authority to do it. It is perfectly legal. Think about this Think about this, you business-minded people. In the long run, this was really going to turn out pretty good for the master as well. I mean, that's the type of thing that develops a pretty good reputation amongst the people when there is someone in charge who has grace upon those who owe. So the master hears about what's taking place, and that's just reading, maybe I'm reading too much into it. In that, maybe that's not necessarily the case. But I will tell you this, because Jesus tells us in a story that the master hears about what's going on. He brings this manager in and gives him his job back. No, he does not give him his job back, but he praises him for his shrewdness. Let me ask you a question. Because you know what Jesus does next? Jesus uses this fictitious bad man, unrighteous man, as a good example. Is that so unheard of? Have you ever done this yourself as a parent? Maybe, just maybe. Let me me throw a statement, you know, a sentence out here. You fill in the blanks yourself. Are you telling me that that... Insert, you know, rotten scoundrel. Okay. All right. Are you telling me that whoever can do that, insert nice, a nice respectable action, a nice good deed, are you telling me that that rotten individual can do that good deed, but you can't? You ever say anything like that as a parent? Maybe I need to throw some names in there to make it a little easier for us as parents, but I better not. I get us all into trouble. That is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not exalting the manager's laziness or his crookedness. He's acknowledging his ability to use temporary resources and authority to prepare for what's coming. What's coming He's going to be out of job. Let's look a little closer now at verse 9, because this is kind of the moral of the story here, all right? That's, that's typically what Jesus does. He, sell, he tells a story, and then he, he, he talks about, sometimes we get it described in a little bit more detail, thankfully for his closest disciples who asked, I didn't understand that one, Lord, can you explain it for us a little better? And at verse 9, we get the moral, if you will. Jesus says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, which it will, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Now let's dig into this just a little bit. First of all, let's define some things. This wealth of unrighteousness. Understand something here, alright? Wealth is ethically neutral. Do we understand that? Money is not good or bad. Okay? James tells us later on in our Bibles that money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Wrong. Yeah, you're exactly right. No, he says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. See, wealth, money, it's just, it's just a tool, it's just something to be used in this world. So when he says wealth of unrighteousness, he's not talking about bad money, okay? That's not what he's referring to. It's just money. But the point that he's making here with that is this. Money in this world is used for all kinds of rotten things. I mean, it is. And it is, it is obtained through rotten ways at times. It is used in rotten ways At times, and he's saying, people of the world are more shrewd with it than my people, the children of light. Jesus told the children of light to be shrewd with what they have, to use your to use our power and resources and abilities to prepare for what is coming. What's coming? eternity that's what's coming folks let me tell you something each and every follower of Jesus I don't care how old you are each and every follower of Jesus should often be carefully examining how we are using what God has given us for his glory This includes talents, abilities, money, and possessions. And the list could go on and on and on. Because God, God's gifts are many. And he owns it all. You know, I love this time of year. I absolutely love it. That first week in a long time when you can go down the highway with your windows rolled down. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, no more AC today. You know? And you don't use the AC for a couple days and then you turn it on and it stinks. You know, that's when you know you've had a good couple of days. And then the AC stinks. And that's just a just a just a just a statement of of everything about summer's bad. No, just kidding. Okay, I'm not I'm not going there. But but what we got here is so nice. We roll the windows down a little bit and feel that fresh, cool air coming in. I did that this week. I did that. Rolled this window down. And you know, in my car, it actually is tight enough a little bit that if you just roll one window down, it like turns into this boom, 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 boom. There's, I don't know if yours does that. Like It's like this sonic boom going on in your car that messes with your heart rate so so i got to crack the window on the other side open a little bit but i was like i'm not gonna crack the window open over there it's a nice day so i opened that sucker up you know so i got them both down and i'm driving down the road and all of a sudden i can't see i can't see anything man it's like all of that dirt and nasty stuff in the car is now in the air and i've created this nice little car tornado you been there before the car tornado's going on, the dirt's flying, it's in your eyes, and there goes a sonic, Woo! there goes a sonic straw wrapper right out the door. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. It's paper though, It'll, it's biodegradable, it's all good. Okay, don't sue me. Uh, so, and, and then you got to roll the windows back up again, because you know how long it's been since I cleaned my car? You know how long I've owned that car? That's about the same amount of time, all right? And I get that. Very, very strong reminder. As I'm trying to see the road ahead of me, that I kind of neglected some things a little bit, just a little bit. And you know something, folks? Every every single one of us in this room, we are wealthy people. You put yourself on the ladder of wealth in our world. And folks, you hear a lot about the one percenters in our country. Um, Our country is made up of one percenters. We all are. You've been outside the borders of this nation for a while, and you'll see it. We are wealthy people. You got, if you're not worried about what you're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow, you might be worried about what you're going to eat for supper tonight. If you've got more than one change of clothes to put on and a place to lay your head at night, you're wealthy. And here's the thing about being wealthy people. It is so easy. The distractions are so many. Because that same wealth that we've been given to do something else with can sometimes cloud our vision. Why don't you turn, this is where we'll end, biblically speaking today, over in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we spent quite a bit of time the last two weeks in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the mount. This is a little bit, there's a little ways into it, his same sermon. And I, I told you, Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money, talk about it a lot. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 6 beginning with verse 19. He says something. Let me tell you folks. This one should be underlined, starred, highlighted. printed it off and put on our walls. Because we're wealthy people. This is one we cannot forget. When Jesus says this, he says, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For, catch this, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. When we look at the other things that Jesus had to say about money and how we use it, how we use our possessions, how we use what God has given us in this world, and you see it as a whole, that will keep us from confusing what we see in Luke chapter 16. We cannot confuse the purpose of Jesus' parable. There were two very different types of rich people in Jesus' audience that day. Okay? You, you have very two different types of rich people. First of all, you had tax collectors. They're rich people. They were. First parable is directed towards them. Those of them, at least, who are thinking about following this Jesus guy. You see, there were more tax collectors that followed Jesus than Matthew and Zacchaeus. Keep that in mind, all right? So you've got two different very different types of rich people. You got the tax collectors, but who else you got there? The Pharisees. Yeah, they were wealthy. They were lovers of money. And their position and their power and their authority lent them to be in a place where they could have a lot. And what he was telling both of those groups in these parables is this there's something more important than your money. And it's my people. How are you using your money to serve my people? Look at the one Paul talks about money. Look at when Peter talks about money. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, he says again and again use it to bless others. No, Jesus was not telling. This audience, nor us, that there is a way to buy your way into heaven. That's not what Jesus was getting at. You see, Jesus alone had the authority and ability to purchase that freedom and that future. And that's what we're going to celebrate in our time of communion, communion here in just a couple moments. Jesus did that. He invested everything, everything into his kingdom. And two, his people. And the question for us is what are we willing to invest for him? This is a difficult saying of Jesus, not just because it can be a little bit confusing here. And not all sayings of Jesus that are difficult ones are confusing. They're very clear. Once we understand these harder sayings of Jesus... I have to begin asking myself, where am I storing up treasure? Am I storing up treasure in a place where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal? Am I throwing it up in an attic so I can grab it on my way out? It's not going to work. Or am I being a blessing to people? Am I shining a light for Jesus with the things he's given me? You know, we're all going to leave this world one day. Every one of us. If Jesus does not come before, the way we're going to leave this world is we're going to die. When people are speaking about us, after they've bid us farewell, are you and I going to be known as a generous people? A person who touched lives. A person who didn't know how to hold on to stuff too tightly. But knew better how to let go of it. How to bless others. Are we allowing God to bless others? Through us. And thereby... Storing up treasures in heaven. There is no greater treasure in heaven, brothers and sisters, than seeing the faces of people that you helped lead to Jesus. There's no greater treasure than that. So we come to our time of communion. A couple of things we need to focus on, and the number one thing we need to focus on is the fact that what we are celebrating purchased our pardon, purchased our eternal place in glory the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way, brothers and sisters. There's no other way, and every time we share in communion together primarily we need to be thanking our God and remembering, because it's a humbling thing, what our God did for us. I'll tell you what, something else we might be thinking about today in light of this passage of Scripture. That's how I'm using what God has blessed me with for His glory, for His kingdom. And am I actively, actively storing up treasure in heaven in this world?